the 12th of July, 2007, episode 81. The Rookie Designer, with your host, Adam Hay. Let's take a look at the starting lineup. Today we're going to be doing one of our patented mixed bag episodes. So we're going to have a bit more of a relaxed schedule. Things aren't going to go exactly as they usually do. And uh, we're going to touch on a lot of different topics that I think can be helpful. Uh, we also have a book report and a, an interview that I'm going to be playing on the very end of this thing. So uh, stick around. A couple news items before we get started. Um, I want to remind everybody that I have moved the archives link that is the archives of Rookie Designer, meaning the episodes that are no longer on the feed, meaning you can't get them in into your iTunes or your other aggregator that you use. You actually have to go to the website and hit the archives link and go and download them that way. So to get to it now, you go to the website at rookiedesigner.com slash rookie. And once you get there on the right hand side, you'll see a little area that's called fast links. And in the fast links, it's just little word links you'll find one that says archives. And that's where you go to get the old episodes that are no longer on the feed. I'm saying this because uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that the nav, the navigation used to be up on the top. Well, I upgraded the blog and something broke. Something with my template didn't work with the upgrade. So uh, it was not showing up. Therefore, I, I put it over into the fast links. And you'll find a couple of other things in there that you used to see up on the top as well. Uh, of course, the archive episodes is one, the contact info is another. So uh, if you're looking for any, any of those things, just look in the fast links on the right-hand side there. Uh, I promise some new changes are going to be coming to the website soon. Uh, obviously, this was uh, not my idea of something good to happen, that I would lose my navigation, but I, I did have some plans in the works already to going to kind of upgrade the site and, and make it a little more user-friendly and make it a better resource for everybody that listens to the show. So that those changes will be coming hopefully in the next few weeks, uh, you know, as time permits. But uh, looking forward to that. Um, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that because things are starting to break here and there. So anyway, you know, you find the archive episodes there in that navigation. Uh, next, next thing is the podcast awards. I mentioned this before. The podcast awards are back. Uh, you know that you may know that we were in the top five last year. We did not win, but we were in the top five, and it gave us a lot of good, a lot of good press, a lot of good promotion, and uh, it's something that you know I would enjoy being in the top five again, of course. But uh, I decided that I wasn't going to push it as hard as I did last year. If you were around last year, uh, you noticed that I, I put out all kinds of uh, PDFs and emails and things through MySpace. I'm not going to get that crazy about it this year, but I would like you to vote. And uh, for right now, from July 1st to, to July 15th, it's in a phase that they call nominating. So you can go up to podcastawards.com and you can nominate my show. Uh, you can only do it once. And then after the 15th, they count up all the nominations. And then the top five shows are the ones that get to stay up there. And then you can start voting for them. So uh, if you want to go up and nom nominate me, that would be great. I'm also asking that if you are already up there, I have a friend who you may have heard me talk about before. His name is Jasper, and he has a great, great music show called The Plan 9 Rock Show. Uh, again, if you like the music that I play at the end of my podcast, you'll probably like this show. 
But uh, if you're up there and you don't have another music podcast that you'd like to vote for already, I'd ask that you throw him a, a nomination as well. And again, his his podcast is called The Plan 9 Rock Show, and his the URL for that is plan9print.com. So uh, that's one of the requirements when you when you actually nominate shows is you got to write down the title and the URL. So uh, you should know it for this show already. Uh, anyways, that's enough time talking about that. Just, uh, go ahead and nominate me if you want to. And, uh, if we get in that top five, then maybe I'll ask you to vote for me as well. Next thing, I I received an email today and somehow this wasn't shocking to me, but I thought it was, it was interesting at the, at the, at the least, at the very least, the illustrator techniques magazine. Uh, I don't even know if they called it a magazine. It was more like a flyer. I think the the biggest one I ever got maybe had 10 to 15 pages in it. But this was supposed to be the next branch out. They have Photoshop User Magazine. They started making layers. And this was supposed to be the next one. Well, it didn't quite work, I guess, because they're actually ending it. And what they're doing, um, what they're doing with it, it, it was kind of funny because they, they put out this little release email. And it says... Uh, The release of Adobe Creative Suite 3 has opened up a whole new world of creative possibilities for digital illustrators, especially with the tight integration of Illustrator and other applications in CS3. As a result, the publishers of the Adobe Illustrator Techniques newsletter, okay, they called it a newsletter, that was good, are announcing that by the end of 2007, we are rolling the very best articles, tutorials, and other quality content from Adobe Illustrator Techniques into layers. So basically, they're taking everything that they wrote in this little newsletter thing, and they're just going to put it in layers. And and hopefully that's good. Hopefully that means that they're going to have more than just... If you get layers right now, you know that they do tutorials for each one, but it's like one or two tutorials for each application. I hope they actually kind of explode it out and make a good chunk of tutorials for each application. That would be something nice to see. Because, you know, like I said, the Illustrator Techniques thing, it was small for being its own magazine, but if you took that whole thing and stuck it in another magazine, that would be a very large section for one application of, you know, how-tos and tutorials and and different kind of things like that. So uh, basically, they're rolling it into there. If, If you subscribe to the Illustrator Techniques, you probably get this email and they're saying that they're going to they're going to have some kind of offer. It's probably going to be, you know, a subscription to layers if you don't already have one and maybe an extension to your subscription of layers if you do have one. So uh, wait to hear on that because they didn't give all the details. But um, the Illustri- Illustrator Techniques newsletter is done by the end of 2007, which, like I said, probably isn't the, the worst thing because it was pretty small. It was really, really expensive for how small of a publication it was. All right, some things about the show. Um, Forum registrations. I've been talking about this lately. And I put out a uh, public service announcement last week about trying to get rid of the the spammer accounts that are on the forum. And I said, go ahead and, and make sure you have at least one post now, this isn't really the message right here. If you're getting the message today, it's probably too late because I'm going to go in today and actually start deleting some of these. But I said, if you don't have any posts at all, if you have zero, make sure you go and he- go ahead and put w- at least one up and then I'll know not to delete you because I'm going to delete every account that has never posted before, which there's quite a few of them. Um, I'm going to read an email in a little bit or I'm going to talk about an email in a little bit of, of some kind of confusion that that may have caused. And this is for kind of beginner listeners of podcasts. But um, basically, 
again, let me just say, I'm going to go in, I'm going to delete all these people that I've never posted before because most of those are spam. Uh, some spammers actually, some pa- spam bots register, create the account and just never, ever post, which is also good because, you know, what they posted would have been spam. But I wanted to talk about the registrations as well, because when you go to the registration page, um, the mod that I made actually made a certain section show up in the registration and it's it's in bright red. There's no way you can miss it if you're actually reading it. What it tries to do is get rid of spam bots because spam bots obviously aren't reading the page. So it gives you some instructions. And if you follow those instructions correctly, then you'll you'll get a registration. What I'm doing still is I'm having the registrations all come to me so that I can approve or deny them. And that way I can, I'm, it's just extra protection against spammers signing up. So the thing also that I ask is if you're going to sign up for the forum, try to make your username something. I know we like to use different aliases and stuff like that, but try to make it something that, that seems real. Um, spammers, a lot of times it's just a bunch of different letters, you know, so try to make it something that doesn't sound like a spammer account and it'll be be easier for me to figure out if it's real or not. And that's all I'm asking on that one. Uh, got a couple of programs. The UShare program is where I ask you guys to share with me. Still haven't got any entries of anyone uh, recording something, but if you do have recording equipment, please go ahead and uh, record something and send it in. It could be anything. If you want to tell tell people about a resource that you like, a book that you like, if you want to do your own book report, uh, if you want to bring up a topic that you'd like to talk about, anything you want. And uh, if you don't have recording equipment, just send me an email, something that you'd like to bring up on the show, and uh, I will definitely do so. The other one is the old oldie but goodie tell a friend program. Uh, anybody that you think can benefit from listening to this podcast, please tell them about it because we don't do advertising Word of mouth is the way to go here, and uh, that's how we've built much of our audience. So please tell tell people that you know if you like the show. Um, if you don't like the show, don't tell them. And uh, let me just say thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you for telling your friends because I know a lot of people have done that already. Uh, if there's any new listeners just joining us today, uh, like I said, this is not the regular format of this show, but we do talk about all kinds of things, design. And uh, I welcome you to go into the archived episodes, as I pointed out, and check out some of the old stuff. And of course, a lot of them are still on the feed, so check those out as well. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for participating in this community and uh, really making it what it is. And uh, I can't thank you enough because it, it really it really wouldn't be what it is if it weren't for the great listeners that that are a part of this show. All right. One more thing before we get started. This show is being brought to you by GoToMeeting. And GoToMeeting is an application that allows you to meet with other people online and actually show them what you're doing on your computer screen. They log in through their browser on the internet, and they can be anywhere because of this. They could be in a different country across the world from you, but they can see everything that you're doing on your screen. Now, if you watch Quick Tips for Designers, you know that uh, I actually make a recording of my screen, but you can see everything that I'm doing in every application. This is much the same, except it's actually live. You're not recording it, although there is there are certain packages where you can record it as well. But this is all live. You're doing it all real time. They just log in. They see everything that you're doing on your computer screen, and you can show them things you know, right when you're doing them, which is a great thing. So you can try this for free. You just need to go to gotomeeting.com forward slash podcast. 
That's gotomeeting.com forward slash podcast. Fill out a little form and you'll be able to download it and use it for free for 45 days. So check that out. All right. So the first thing I want to do is go over some emails that I received. And the first one I alluded, I alluded to already because I got a, an email from, I'm assuming it's somebody who's just getting into podcasts, listening and post, podcasting as well. Uh, the person actually said that they were a, an art teacher and they're taking a class about podcasting so they could eventually do it. But I think there was a little confusion as to uh, what was going on there. And, and it made me think, you know, maybe there's some new listeners out there as well that don't exactly understand. So I put out that, that PSA that said, you know, I was referring to the forum saying, you know, if you have an account, make sure that you make at least one post. Otherwise, I'm going to delete you. Well, this person wrote in and they said, um, you know, you said you're going to delete people. Does that mean that that you're going to delete the subscription that I have to your podcast? And I know this is going to be, you know, well-known information to most of you who listen to podcasts all the time. But when you subscribe to a podcast, it's not really a, a subscription per se. It's not something that I can delete or, you know, approve or anything like that. Basically, you open up your aggregator, you point to the URL of a feed of a podcast that you want. In iTunes, it makes it a little easier because you just go into the store and you say, I want this one and you hit the subscribe button. Once you do that, you are the only one that can delete that subscription. So just if there was any confusion with anyone, I wasn't talking about your subscription to the podcast. I was talking about an account that you have set up at the forum. And to do that, you need to go to rookiedesigner.com slash forum and actually register and sign up for the forum. So two completely different things, but just know uh, for those of you who may not know or who are new to podcasts, when you subscribe to a podcast, you're the only one that can delete that subscription. Um, and hopefully you don't if you're subscribed to this show. So I thought I'd just point that out if there was any newbies out there who needed to know that information. The second email that I wanted to go over, and this was a great one. I, would, I don't know if it was intended as you know a, a you share thing, but I'm sharing it anyways because I think it's really really important information. Uh, this is from a listener called a listener named Joseph. And it says, I'm using Photoshop CS3 and often adjust color using levels or curves in RGB. Is there any reason why I should not adjust color while in CMYK? I notice that when I convert my image to CMYK after adjusting an RGB and recheck the levels that one or more of the channels may be way off. It seems to me that we should adjust color in RGB because our screens are RGB and displaying in CMYK is a best guess, which is still a mix of RGB. Well, the first thing I'm going to say here is you are very much so on the right track. Um, the colors coming from our screen obviously are in RGB. It's red, green, and blue light that, that's used to make all the different colors that we see on our screen. And adjusting something in, in CMYK is kind of iffy. It's 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 not something that you definitely shouldn't do, but there are certain ways to go about doing it. One of the reasons we work in RGB for the most part and then convert to CMYK at the very end is because there's a lot more things available to you in Photoshop when you do it that way. You notice, take take an, any RGB document you have, convert it to CMYK, and then go look in the menus. And especially the one you'll see the most is the uh, the filter menu. You'll notice that there's a lot of filters that you can't use unless you're in RGB. 
and namely the one that the one that I learned on like many years ago when I didn't understand this and I would open up something in CMYK and I would go to the render the filter render and try to do something like light effects or something like that lighting effects you can't do that it's something that you have to be in RGB for now there are workarounds so you know I'm sure people will will maybe post something on the forum or send me an email and say yes you can actually do lighting effects or, or things like that in CMYK, but it's a it's a lot bigger process. So that's one of the reasons we like to work in RGB for the most part, you know, get everything all in tune and then switch to CMYK at the very end. Um, another reason is, you know, the main reason is we're seeing it in RGB. Now, talking about how things change, you say that you, you switch it to CMYK and a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, it kind of dulls down the image. It looks like it's more dull. What's happening there is there's colors in your in your image or in your photo that you have that are what they call out of gamut. And out of gamut means that it can't possibly be recreated using the color profile that you're using or in in CMYK basically. It can't be printed, can't be reproduced by the printer. So what it does is it takes those colors out and it switches it to the nearest color that's actually in gamut the nearest color that it can reproduce. And that's what makes things look a little bit dull. You know, it's not always going to happen. Sometimes you might have a photo that actually works pretty well, that actually most of the colors are in gamut. You might not tell that much of a difference. But other times, if you have very vibrant colors, uh, I think the best example is to open up something. If you have a graphic that you've made for the web and it has really bright, very vibrant colors in it, Take that and then bring that into Photoshop and switch it to CMYK and you'll see a lot of it probably go away. It'll look very, very different from what you had in the first place. And that's, like I said, it's it's called colors that are out of gamut and they're being replaced by colors that are in gamut because it's trying to make it so that you can actually print this thing. So I have a little exercise that you can do to kind of learn a little bit more about this. And that is to, first we need to open up something, of course. Make sure you uh, open up a, a, a file that's in RGB. And I'm going to show you how to, to find the colors that are out of gamut. It's very, very simple, actually. We're going to go to the View menu. And the first thing you should see is it's called Proof Setup. And it'll have a little arrow. And then to the right, it'll say Working CMYK. And then you can look at all the different plates, the cyan, magenta, yellow, black, uh, CMY plates all together. And then you'll have some monitor settings down at the, the bottom, which are RGB settings. Uh, most of the time, I think it's probably going to be defaulted to working CMYK. Now, one thing you can also do is you'll notice at the top of the list, it says custom. And if you click on that, it'll give you a little dialog box. And you notice a couple of, uh, couple of rows down, it says device to simulate. And this is what we're doing. We're simulating the printer on the, at the end, the printer that we're going to use. So what I usually have this set to and uh, this is basically just my color settings for Photoshop and for the whole Creative Suite, uh, is the working CMYK US web-coded swap version 2. And that's just kind of the default for people who are in the United States and using, you know, sending to an offset printer. That's That will encompass most things. Now, if you can get more specific than that, then you sh absolutely should do that. And one of the things you might might ask your printer about uh, I don't know that every printer does it, but one of the printers that I use did. They will actually have a profile that you can, you know, maybe download from their site or they can email it to you. You can stick this in. You can actually load it. You notice there's a load button in there. 
you can actually load this, this profile in and you'll be able to choose that one. So the device that you're simulating is actually the settings for their printers, which is probably the closest you're going to get to being able to see what it's going to look like as an end result on your, on your monitor. Now, again, is this is kind of a, is like, like the emailer said, it's kind of guessing. It's not going to be exactly spot on, but this is probably the closest you're going to be able to get. Anyways, I chose what I had. Uh, another thing to notice is I have a, a bunch for Epson printer, which I have my Epson, um, my Epson stylus inkjet printer here. It has a bunch for that one as well. So, I mean, it's not just for sending out to uh, a, a major offset printer. Sometimes you can do it for your own printer in your house and there's all kinds of settings in there that you'll notice. Anyways, I chose the one that I wanted. I'm going to say, okay, we'll go back up to view. And now, uh, since I chose that, the second one down on the list is called proof colors, and that should have a check mark next to it. Uh, if you didn't go through the proof setup and change anything, if you just left it the way it was, and you don't see the check mark next to proof colors, then just click on proof colors and it should turn it on. And turn it on and off a couple of times. You notice the key command is Command Y or Control Y on Windows. If you turn it on and off a couple of times, you'll see, you might see a major difference, you might see a minor difference. And that's all what I was talking about as, as far away or far out of gamut as your colors are, it's really going to be the difference as to how much you see it. Okay, so which colors are actually not right, not being able to be printed? Make sure our proof colors is on. And then right underneath that, there's one called gamut warning. Click on that one. If you see lots and lots of gray, then that means most of the colors in your image are out of gamut. This is showing you all the colors that are out of gamut for the color settings, for the color space or the color profile that you chose. So for me, I was looking at an image that, I, that actually is for the web and almost the whole entire thing turned gray. Okay, let's go into the color picker now. And you can do kind of the same thing. And I think this is what I shared before. I'm not sure if it was on this show or Quick Tips, but we can do the same thing. So just click on the color picker and get in there and uh, go back up to the view menu and say gamut warning again. And now it does it inside the color picker. You should see a big gray blob going over the, the color picker. And these again are the colors that are out of gamut. Now click somewhere in the gray and you'll see to the right of that, you have your, your normal things where it shows you the new color and then the current color, which the current one, of course, is what was in there before you started picking new colors. And then the new one is with the one that you picked. Right next to that, there's a couple of things. There's a little warning sign with a color square underneath it. And that is, it says click to select in gamut color. So it's going to change it to a color that's in gamut. Uh, the one below that is for web safe colors. You can totally disregard that. But let's go ahead and click the one that says switch it to an in-gamut color. And you notice it gives you the closest representation to that color that it can, but it makes it in-gamut. And it changes that. So a couple of good ways to, to figure out, you know, are my colors going to be ones that are printable? And of course, it is very much so based on the profile or the settings that the end printer that you're going to use is going to have. So this is very interchangeable. It's not always going to be the same, of course, but uh, a, a good way to get an idea of the difference between the RGB color space and the CMY color space. And that's why, you know, when we start talking about Pantones, it's a big deal because Pantones do not use four different colors to mix 
to make one color or to make several colors rather, but to make one color in specific, specifically. Pantone colors are their own ink. It's already mixed. It's mixed. It's a combination that makes that certain color. And when you look at it in the book or in the little um, swatch book or the swatch, uh, I don't even know what you call those things, but they show you what the color actually looks like. And that's, you know, that's what the color is going to look like. And that's one of the advantages to using Pantone colors is, you know, it's going to turn out the way that you want it to. The problem with that is, you know, if you have a four color job, adding Pantone colors to that adds more colors, which makes it more expensive. And that's a entirely different conversation altogether. But uh, hopefully this sheds a little bit of light on the whole thing of CMYK versus RGB and trying to color correct on the computer. That's why this is not uh, an exact science. It never has been. That's why it takes you a while takes you a while in the business to figure out, you know, certain colors are going to turn out certain ways. And there are certain colors, I know this from experience at my full-time job, certain colors, we use a blue, it does not come out the same every single time. It's, it's very, it's, there's, there's a big variance in it and I'm not sure exactly what it is. It's just one of those colors that's hard to reproduce the same way every time. Hard to get those colors to mix the same way every single time. You'll find that with, uh, like tannish type of colors, like khaki tan colors. A lot of those are the same way. They won't print out exactly the same, even on the same run. Meaning you you got maybe 5,000 things going through. You'll see variants in just that 5,000. So these are things that you learn over time and you, and you learn to try and avoid it in different ways. But uh, excellent, excellent question. I thought that was a great thing to to talk about. Next thing I wanted to go over, um, one of our listeners actually uh, Skyped me and told me about this this podcast that he listened to. It's called the Logo Design Podcast, and I didn't find this in iTunes. I don't think it's registered in iTunes. It's kind of strange. And actually, I, I listened to episode number, was it 10 and 11 or 9 and 10 or something like that? And I couldn't find any of the other ones before that, so I don't know if they're taking them down like very quickly after they put them up. Uh, you can find it at logodesign.com though. And basically it's uh, a place that designs logos, I, I guess. They give you tips and tricks and, and stuff like that for designing logos as well. Uh, the podcast is pretty cool. You know, it wasn't the best one I've ever heard, but and, and not to totally throw them under the bus or anything, but one thing that I noticed about this podcast is they do a lot of critiquing of other other logos that are out there. And... A lot of people have asked me, you know, they'd like to see something on the show and that would be for me to critique other people's work. And I've been very hesitant to do this because I've always kind of tried to take the stance that, you know, I'm not, I'm not the expert here. You know, I may know more than you, but there's probably things that you guys know that I don't know. And for me to sit up here and say, you know, there's, I think that, that this is wrong with this piece or this is lacking this. I don't want to sound too much like I'm trying to be the expert. I'm trying to be the know-it-all that, you know, whatever I say you should listen to because, you know, I am, I am the all knowing. That's definitely not the kind of thing that I want to come across as. And that's kind of, I got a little bit of that vibe from this thing. Whereas this, this person just sounds like they think they know everything there is to know about logo design. And if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then it's just wrong. You know, it's just not good. Now, I say, you know, I don't want to, I'm not totally throwing them on the bus because a lot of things that this person says, I totally agree with. And a lot of it is very good knowledge. But, you know, that's the problem I have with people 
you know, going over and critiquing work and, and giving their feelings. Now, on the flip side of that token, I wouldn't mind doing that kind of thing if, say, we did something like somebody puts up some artwork on the on the forum and gives everybody a chance to to give their feelings on on what may be wrong with it, what is definitely right with it, things that may help out the design. Just a full critique. If everybody could do that and I could read all these other people's critiques and mine as well, I would feel better about that because now I don't sound like I am, you know, the one person saying, you know, this is wrong with it. This is not wrong with it. Uh, again, I just, I don't want to sound like Mr. Know-it-all here. So that that's basically my feeling on that. So if anybody does want to do that, if you want to put something up and have everybody critique it and then actually have me... Uh, talk about it on the podcast. I'd be totally willing to do that, but I definitely don't want to be the only one doing that. Now, a couple of people have sent me stuff via email and said, will you look at my portfolio and give me some advice? Absolutely. I will always do that. But I think there's just something different about me dealing just with that person that made the that made the work, that made the designs, as opposed to me taking it on the podcast and maybe trashing something or or just, you know, saying that it's unbelievably good. You know, there's there's a big difference between that. Anyways, uh, way off topic. This is uh, from that website, though, the logodesign.com website, and I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, it's kind of a satirical piece. And uh, let me just go ahead and read it. It says, there are a lot of articles on logo design best practices, but we've never come across something that uh, concise, concisely states the secrets to creating mind-blowing logos. So we decided to develop, to develop one ourselves, and here it is. So step number one, design your logo using Microsoft Paint. Microsoft has a plethora of design tools to design stunning logos. Microsoft Word is a great start. They have some amazing arrows, shapes, and fantastic wingdings, not to mention the detailed clip art, but you'd be even better off with Microsoft Paint as it provides you with more technical set of tools. Uh, I don't think I'm going to read this whole thing because it would take a really long time, but I wanted to read just the, the highlight the, the different uh, steps they say to go to. And I'll actually put this link in the, in the show notes at rookiedesigner.com slash rookie. Uh, number two is use Papyrus or Comic Sans font. Actually, let me read this one little sentence here. It says, Comic Sans shows your fun, creative side with its informal bounce and unique slant to the right. It's a cute little poodle that people can't help but fall in love with. So obviously you can see this is uh, this is just being totally facetious. Uh, number three, use as much detail as possible. Number four, what type of business are you? And this is funny. This is something that this person goes off on a lot. And I think it's funny because I've totally experienced this myself, but they get that company that they want in their logo. They want to show every single thing that their company does. And obviously they don't understand what a logo is for, but uh, it kind of goes on about that. It's pretty funny. Uh, number five, vote by committee. You know, why not get as many people in there deciding what the thing can look like? Um, number six, out of ideas, add a swoosh. It's always a good one. And number seven, the more colors, the better. So uh, if you if you don't get this, hopefully you do. But uh, if you go check this out, this is obviously a list of things absolutely not to do when designing a logo. So keep that in mind. All right. So the next thing I want to do, this is, a, this is the first of hopefully many. I'm going to do a book report 
And this is, I actually had the opportunity to review a book for, uh, it was put out by Pogue Press and O'Reilly. You'll probably know O'Reilly a little bit better. They are the ones that put out mainly programming language books. They have all kinds of animals on the front, but uh, very, very good books nonetheless. The book that I'm going to be reviewing here is Flash CS3, The Missing Manual. And this was written by E.A. Vanderveer and Chris Grover. I actually, uh, I haven't read through the whole entire book and I don't think I really needed to, but just going through a few chapters and kind of skimming and, and seeing what they had in there. This is obviously a book that shows you how to use Flash and Flash CS3 at that. And for that very fact that it's for the new it's for the new Flash, and this is the first time that Adobe has put out Flash, and there's just tons and tons of differences. This is an excellent, excellent book that I think anybody could use, even someone who's been using Flash for a long time. Uh, unless all you do is action script all the time, then you know maybe it wouldn't be that relevant to you. But otherwise, if you use any of the drawing tools, if you use the timeline, uh, if you use any of those kind of things, this is a great, great book. If you're a beginner, I absolutely recommend it because they go every, they go over everything in such great detail that there's no way you can not understand it. Um, they have uh, some some screenshots. I don't think it really illustrates perfectly what they're doing, but I think they explain it in so much detail that really there's no way for you to get confused. It's it's hard to get confused because they explain it so much. Now, if you're an advanced user, this might be a little more annoying to you, but I think it's it's easy to just skim through and find what you want out of this book. Now, they do touch on a little bit of action scripting. Not much, though. It's basically how to how to get into the commands that are already there, not actually writing your own action script. So if you're looking for, for training on action script, um, this is not the book for you. This is more about using the timeline, being able to draw shapes and animate them, turning them into symbols and that kind of stuff. And again, anybody, anybody who may have used Flash before or not used Flash before, this is a great book to have because there are so many different changes in Flash, in this version of Flash, with just the drawing tools itself. They brought a lot of the behaviors and tools from Illustrator and integrated them into Flash, which is great because Flash's drawing tools in all the other versions previous to CS3 have have been total crap. Uh, They did keep some of the things about Flash, about the Flash drawing tools that were there before, which is cool because there's different ways that you can actually uh, draw shapes on others and erase, erase from them. So there's cool things like that that are still in there, but you get that, uh, the drawing tools and the main functions from Illustrator, which is great. So uh, if you couldn't tell, I give this this book a very big thumbs up and I recommend that anybody who needs to learn Flash CS3, this is a, a great option for a book to, to teach you how to do that. And I will put a link up in the show notes for this as well. So you can go up and uh, purchase it from, let's say, amazon.com or something like that. I'm not sure where, but I'll try and find the cheapest one that cheapest link that I can find and put that up there. So if you do want to uh, go ahead and try and learn Flash CS3, then uh, this is a great resource and I recommend that you check it out. The keys to the game. Our key command for today, I'm going to go ahead and grab one from, from something we are already talking about, and that is the gamut warning. And again, if you have the color picker open and you use this key command, it'll give you the the gray blob in your color picker. It'll show you what colors are out of gamut, 
before you actually pick your color. If you do it with the color picker closed, it'll show you in your document which colors are out of gamut and it'll just put the gray color over whichever ones are not going to be able to be printed or whatever, all the ones that are out of gamut for whatever settings that you're using. So to get this, on the Mac, you're going to press Command, Shift, and Y. And on the PC, that's Control, Shift, and Y. Things are getting a bit out of hand. Looks like it's time to go to the bullpen. Alright, so the for the end of this, as I said, I'm going to be playing an interview that I did with a guy named Ori Shiner. And he runs a website called Anaboom. And this is going to be our bullpen entry for today. It is called Anaboom. You can find it at anaboom.com. That's A-N-I-B-O-O-M.com. And uh, not to give away the whole thing, but this is a website where it's kind of like a community website for animators, for 3D animators, for 2D animators, anybody who does anim any animation at all. You can set up your own little page where you can show all your little animation movies. There's even tools up on this website where you can create animations on the website without having any other software. Uh, very cool stuff. Like I said, I don't want to give it away because the interview is all about this website. Um, very cool stuff, though, so definitely check it out if you get a chance. And again, if you're interested in this stuff, then uh, stay tuned, and, and the interview is coming up after just a few announcements. And those are, if you want to contact me, you can do so by email, adam at rickydesigner.com. You can go to myspace.com slash rickydesigner. And let me just say, I've been trying to keep up on those things lately. I, I fall behind almost a month sometimes, but I think I'm back up to date now. Uh, you can Skype me. My username is Titan Strides, and you can just go ahead and send me an IM that way. Um, and you can go up to the forum, rookiedesigner.com slash forum. Like I said, I'm going to be cleaning it up, getting all the spammers out of there. We haven't had spam in a couple of weeks now. Very exciting. So um, just great conversations. And if you want to ask a question or answer someone else's question, great group of people up there. So check that out. Uh, also, tell a friend about this podcast. If you uh, tell a friend or a stranger or anybody you think might be uh, be into it. Find it useful. Tell them about the podcast. That's how we get the word out. Uh, send me anything you want to share with me, be it uh, in audio form or just an email or even on the forum. And uh, thanks. Thanks for listening, guys. And thanks for spreading the word about Rookie Designer. Okay, so for those of you who are interested in this interview, I put it at the end so that, you know, if it's not your thing, then you can go ahead and just shut it off right now. If it is your thing, if you're into animation at all, I think you should listen to this because not a, this isn't just a website. This is starting on a website, but it's they have very a very big vision for where this thing is going to go. And if you're into animation and it, and if you're any good at it, then I think it's something that you, you at least need to keep on your radar. But I think maybe you should start participating in it because it's it's got some it, it's got some good things that that go along with it. And I think it's the roadmap for this thing is really really exciting. So. And if you go to the website, uh, go there with an open mind because I think he, he talks about this in the interview a little bit, but there are some wannabes up there. There's wannabes everywhere. So there's people, you might see videos that just totally blow, but you know, there's going to be those people that go up and try to do it and they're not good at it. Don't judge it by that. There's some people up there on this website as well that are just extraordinary designers and animators. So anyways, uh, not to blab, blab on too much, but here is the interview with uh, Ori Shiner from Anaboom.com, and uh, hope you enjoy. We'll talk to you next time.
just to get started, why don't you go ahead and uh, kind of briefly tell me about what Anaboom, what the Anaboom project is all about, and go ahead and include your role in the project and a little bit about your background as well. Anaboom is uh, the first, uh, let's say, virtual studio of animation on the web. The idea is basically that animation became a very, very popular language, not only for kids and family, but for young and teens. And uh, animation has the unique um, um, characteristics of being not only cross-language and cross-culture, but cross-platform as well. There are many, many uh, independent animators worldwide that uh, using the web have a, a chance to really create uh, animation not only via huge studios, but since animation is a one-stop shop, which means that animators uh, can create uh, animation worldwide, we give them a platform in order to have a showcase worldwide of uh, animation. So we launched it on the web uh, about uh, nine months ago. Uh, we uh, have under the umbrella of Honeyboom about uh, 2,500 animators from 72 countries around the world that put their uh, uh, creation and their uh, animation. And the first stage was to create a very, very large uh, video on demand or library of uh, animation uh, worldwide. Then uh, we did uh, competitions and events. We did the Animum Award, which uh, 1,500 animators around the world competed in five categories um, of uh, drama, comedy, uh, video clips, crappy and experimental uh, categories of animation, and there were five winners um, in the world. The third stage, uh, we launched about two months ago what we call Animachines, which are uh, software that we create in order to let everyone, all the wannabes of uh, animation worldwide, to create animation from very, very simple tools. And we had, uh, during the last two months, about uh, 10,000 animations made, created by this first tool, which is called Shapeshifter. The second tool, which is called Smotion, which is a stop-motion tool that with a webcam, everyone can create animation, is going to be launched next month. Um, uh, about myself, um, during the last 28 years, uh, I've been doing television. I ran the leading commercial station in Israel for the last 10 years, um, which are the shareholders are um, Coca-Cola, Bank Lumi, and Saban. Uh, and then I realized about two years ago that something really big is going to happen on the video world, on the internet, and I felt I have to be there. So uh, I went back to my childhood uh, love, which is animation. I created, I was a producer of animation about 25 years ago, and uh, that's how we created Haribo, uh, me and uh, four partners of mine. Okay, so you said the, the website actually launched nine months ago? Is that correct? That's correct. And uh, so the initial response, was it was it more than you thought it was going to be, or was it kind of right on par for how many people you thought were really going to get into this? We, we hope that uh, we will have around 1,000 animators, and it turned to be 
that the community of animators worldwide really, uh, I mean, the response was so warm that uh, it became viral in a way. So uh, when we, for instance, went to ANSI uh, Festival, which was last month in France, uh, the whole community of uh, animators, at least European animators, and it's the same with American animators, were so uh, warm um, and everyone kept saying, you know, we were waiting for this minute that we will have a home for independent animators worldwide. So in this sense, it was a very, very nice surprise for us. Have you seen like a bigger concentration maybe in the United States or is it pretty much spread all over the world? No, the number one is uh, the States, uh, then Europe. Um, the next phase is that we're going to the Far East as well, but it's gradually growing and we even have someone uh, from the Far East that wants to do um, a version of Anibum in uh, other languages. So Anibum can, can be you know, localized in, in different uh, languages and different cultures. So um, what, what made you think that the best place to start with this project was on the web? Because I read on your website that there's, there's ideas of maybe going to mobile devices or TVs or things like that in the future. What made you think that this is the time to get it on the web and, and do it there? What happens to the web 2.0 during the last two years, I, I think it's really amazing. I mean, being in the, for the last 30 years in the um, uh, television st uh, world or the, uh, you know, the, the old media, as, as now it's being called, um, the web gives us a very, very unique way in order to uh, let every animator put their stuff on. Now, since we believe that um, animation, uh, the content of animation is adaptable into the cellular, into iPods, into gaming, and then, of course, to television, merchandising, and everywhere, the cost-effective um, of launching it on the web is incredible. I mean, if before the internet, if I would like to do that, let's say I, I would have a dream to do like um, uh, Cartoon Network for uh, teens. I mean, the cost of, of that, uh, if, don't, if you're not Rupert Murdoch, the chance to do it is very little. Here, like a private entrepreneur with uh, a seed money could really create um, um, a worldwide channel because the internet gives you a chance to create such a platform. And for us, it's a perfect launch for other medias as well. So if there was one major motivating factor, one inspiration for creating this project, what would that have been? Um, first of all, the love for animation. Animation, you know, it started like a children language then when Disney uh, created it as a family and then during the last few years especially after the simpsons and even more after the after south park it really became a, a worldwide language and there is something which is so appealing and so human in animation that uh, i mean we couldn't resist the the idea secondly i uh, i feel that in terms of business there is a huge 
animation. I mean, if you're looking at, uh, let's say, 2006, four out of the ten leading feature films were animated. Mm-hmm. It's the same going to be happening in this year. If you're looking at animation series on the television, it's incredible. Everything, I mean, if you're looking what kind of directors are directing right now, gaming on the web you will see uh, uh, Jackson who made um, you know the um, um, Lord of the Ring uh, of course Lucas uh, uh, Spielberg I mean everyone is doing now uh, Jerry Seinfeld is doing um, uh, um, I animated uh, feature film and uh, if you're looking at the uh, cellular world in the cellular world animation is the number one third generation application that is penetrating so in terms of business I do believe that animation is going to play a crucial role in the next phase okay so why don't you uh, talk a little bit about the other the major players that, that really got this thing off the ground what, what was their background did they were they animators did they come from different facets of design or uh, just just tell us a little bit about the people that helped you get this project off the ground Um, my major partners, uh, one of them uh, is the head of the animation faculty of the leading uh, art uh, university in Israel, which is called Betzalel. His name is Ronnie Oren. He's an active animator for the last 30 years. He did claymation in BBC, in uh, ABC, in uh, Channel 4, in all over the world. He did commercials and he's uh, running the faculty. Another partner, his name is Yehuda Wurzel. He used to run the uh, international studio that uh, uh, did um, uh, two seasons of The Simpsons. He did uh, one season. He did um, the name of the He did uh, Spider-Man. He did um, um, many, many other uh, series. And uh, together, we uh, we made uh, this dream come true. Okay, so you talked a little bit earlier about kind of your target audience being, you know, people of all different ages. But did you were you targeting a certain type of person, like actual artists or designers who do animation already? Or are you trying to make something that maybe anybody could could kind of get into and use? We have four cycles of um, target audiences. The center are animators, and for animators, we have. Uh, what we call anibum, uh, um, sorry, boom zones, that everyone can really create their own mini site, and it's like a huge international um, uh, agency, if you like, of animators. Like, if you are an ad agency in Holland and you want to look for someone who is doing three D animation, and you you can look at the work of everyone there. The second cycle would be semi professionals including uh, students from uh, more than 250 um, schools of animation worldwide. The third cycle, which are millions of wannabes, and for those wannabes, we create all those uh, animations, all those tools that uh, they can practice animation, and if they're good, they can become part of the, you know, today with the softwares of, uh, that are very, uh, friendly, everyone can really create anima- animation if they are, uh, if they have the talent, they will rise there. And then the last fourth uh, cycle would be all the animation lovers worldwide, which are incredible. 
mean, if you look at animation series, if you look at uh, what, what is happening now uh, all over the world with the popularity of animation, this is the fourth uh, target audience. So we're talking about four different cycles. Okay, so you talked a little bit about the boom zone as a place where people can sh- kind of show their artwork or show their animations on your website. Is there anything else to that? Is there more? Is there a place where they can put more information about themselves and, and their work experience or anything like that? Yeah. In the boom zone, everyone can put not only their works, they can write about themselves, they can create a community, they have all the community uh, tools in order to um, not only show their work, and but to, to get in touch with the colleagues and with uh, um, uh, professionals uh, in other areas like uh, script writing, music, etc., etc. So uh, a boom zone actually is not only to show videos, it's a, it's a mini site in a way. It, it gives you a chance to really show everyone who you are, to, to have links to your site, um, to show reference and to, with the, you know, RSS and embedded, to put it wherever you want. Okay, so since Web 2.0, a couple of things have become very, very popular, and uh, that is social networking sites such as MySpace, and also video sharing sites such as uh, YouTube or Rever. What makes Anaboom different? What what kind of brings you apart from these these different types of sites that have been wildly popular? It's uh, if I if I would make the analogy, it's like the difference between broadcaster and, and narrowcaster. I mean, um, I'm am I'm talking from you know the world of television. Every specific area. Uh, has the need of uh, creating their own niche and their own community. So, I mean, MySpace, um, Facebook, uh, all, the, all the other social um, uh, networks um, are fulfilling many, many functions. But whenever you want a function, if, if you want a sport channel, an animation channel, a children channel, or whatever, um, Every initiation that is focused on one issue, one world, one community has the strength of becoming the home of this community. And uh, right now, uh, Anibum uh, was at least the first after that uh, competition started and we are very happy about it because it means that there is a market over there, uh, that uh, we were the first uh, home of uh, animation, and this is what differentiated us from uh, other uh, social networking sites. Right, so uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about the Shapeshifter competitions, because it sounds pretty cool and you can win some nice prizes there. Yeah, Shapeshifter competition, we launched the first... uh, machine which is called shapeshifter the idea is very simple that with a triangle a square and the the circle you can create everything and i have to tell you the truth that i had a lot of expectations but i'm really amazed that we have about ten thousand works within less than two months and some of them even without knowing how minimalized it is with those three geometrical um, uh, forms it's like incredible work so what we do is that we have a weekly 
competition. The judges of this competition are the 25 finalists of Animum Award last year that are coming from all over the world. And then between all the weekly um, uh, winners, we're going to have one big winner, which is going to be by the end of next month. So you want to tell me a little bit about the ad pool royalties and how can this benefit the people who upload and share their animations on Anaboom? First of all, uh, one rule we had before we launched Anaboom is that we are going, we are not going to deal with any piracy and with any uh, problems of rights. Uh, one huge problem of, you know, I don't know, the rumors said that in in the YouTube uh, Google uh, deal, uh, half a billion dollars went into, uh, you know, uh, potential uh, of the um, of violating rights. So from the first moment, we signed a contract with every animator that this is uh, their work and we have a flagging uh, machine uh, uh, mechanism in order to prevent any violation of rights. Uh, during the last nine months, we didn't have even one problem, uh, one legal problem. The whole idea is that the community of animators are partners. And in this partnership, we have different projects and different um, contracts that we have with the animators, whether uh, we are doing work with them, we're doing co-productions, and or they're just putting their art uh, with us. So basically the project is based on 25% of uh, revenues going to them and with projects that we are initiating, developing and co-producing with them, it could come up to one third. It depends on the, because right now we are working on uh, 10 web series that uh, we're going to launch uh, in the next, in the second half of uh, 07. So those partners who are doing with us um, uh, the web series have different shares and it depends on the different platforms, whether the animation would be on the, on the web, would be on the web and on other platforms as, such as the cell or the um, iPod and the project that finally will go into television because our dream basically the next South Park will come out of Animum. If we develop 10 different series, there is no reason in the world why the next hit of animation wouldn't come from us. Um, I don't know, are you acquainted with uh, Happy Tree Friends? Uh, yes. Yeah. So Happy Tree Friends started as a viral uh, item in the web. And right now, uh, in Comedy Central, a series of uh, Little Bush. Do you know Little Bush? Uh, I haven't seen that one, no. Little Bush uh, is going to be launched, I think, next month in uh, uh, Comedy Central. It started this this month. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's launching now. Uh, it started as a viral uh, item of animation on the cell. Hmm. And then it became a television series. So the whole model, part of the model that we are doing, is that we are going to create many web series that the best one of them, or the best two of them, will uh, become a television series. So kind of at the lowest level, though, um, basically you're sharing the the profits that come in from advertisers. Is that from 
like banners on your website or are there advertisements actually attached to the, the animation movies that are on the site? How does that work? going to be uh, from advertisement, but then when we do all kinds of rev share with platforms of um, cellular, iPods, and others, it will be shared with the animators as well. And when we create the series, if and when they will be produced for television, Mm -hmm. it's in the contract with the animators that they will create it, we will co-produce it with them, and they will be partners with every revenue. If it's a hit, and it will have merchandising for 10 years, there will be partners and rev share with every revenue that will be in the future. All right, very cool. So, Thank you. Uh, just to kind of wrap up here, um, what, what, can we, what can we look for for future functionality maybe on the website? Uh, you've talked a little bit about moving to other platforms already, but maybe just uh, kind of wrap that up and, and tell us if there's any other things that, sh- that you're looking at bringing into this website before you start bran- branching out into those other areas. Okay. On the Internet, what we're going to have are the following. One, we're going to have new community tools, uh, including... Um, um, uh, all kinds of uh, widgets and including all kinds of um, um, new tools for for uh, the community itself. The second thing that we're going to have on the web are new anime machines. As I told you, the next anime machine is going to be, to be launched next month. Um, the third thing that we're going to have new on the web on, on the website is the um, animation series. That the first series is going to be launched next month, and then the second on the following month. So uh, during the next few months, there are going to be many, many changes on the website itself. I think that's all I had for you. I want to thank you for uh, thank you for answering the questions. And it sounds like a very, very cool project, and, and it's going so very much. nice I really places. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem.